Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. There are some celebrity memoirs that seem thin, you know, like vanity projects that don't seem to show any evidence of growth or self-interrogation. And there are the celeb memoirs that are thin on the depth, but then have the gall to not even dish out any hot goss from back in the day. But Barbara Streisand's memoir is not one of these. It's a nearly thousand-page tome titled My Name is Barbara, and in it, she talks about everything she went through in entertainment, you know, the people, the obstacles, the slights, and of course, the triumphs. She talked to NPR's Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute, and there's a moment in this interview where they take a minute to sit on this idea of control, right? That although she was famous, you know, she was Streisand after all, she still sought control. That's after the break. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. Barbara Streisand and NPR's Brittany Luce start off their conversation talking about Yentl, the 1983 musical Streisand starred in and directed. And Streisand put in work to get this movie made, you know, 15 years worth of work. And one of the reasons it was so difficult was that she had studio suits telling her that the story was too Jewish for the mainstream. Here's Brittany. Was it infuriating to you at the time? Like, were you ever insulted? Or did you have sort of the same even-handedness in thinking about it? How did you see it then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, when I went to the studios with this little short story, Yentl the Yeshiva Boy, (laughs) my agent, when I found out, he never told me about that offer to do something with that story. Mm. I asked, why wouldn't you tell me what was offered to me. Well, he says, you know, you just played a Jewish girl in Funny Girl. And so you don't want to play a Jewish boy, do you? Hmm. You know, that kind of thing. It was like, but that's not for you to tell me. Right. The story interested me because it was about gender inequality, that a woman couldn't study you know what that feeling is, You to be you. You became what you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I became what I wanted to be. But I don't want somebody telling me what I can't be. You know, we all know about your influence on the industry as a performer. But I wonder, how do you see your influence on the entertainment industry as a businesswoman? Hmm. I, I don't think I do, really. How do you mean? It was only sort of expressions of, I just never thought about really the business aspect. I just thought about it from the control aspect. That is something that came up again yeah. and again and again in the book. I think yeah. the end yeah, of yeah, one yeah, chapter yeah, just yeah. said, you know, right. I have to I be have in to control. The director. That's right. The first time I got a contract, again, I wanted to be an actress, so it mm-hmm. didn't matter to me if I got a record contract to sing. My manager, Marty Ehrlichman, who became my manager when I was 19, mm-hmm. and you know he brought Columbia Records down to see me, mm-hmm. and they wanted to sign me. I said to Marty, I don't care what I get paid. I, I just want to be able to control my work. 
Mm-hmm. What songs I sing. What's the cover of the album look like? At the time, what is that, 60 years ago, I think, they were suggesting I call my album Sweet and Saucy Streisand. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I wanted to control that. And I got that. You know, I was able to call my album the Barbara Streisand album because I said that's what it is. And so I was able to have that. You see? That's what was important to me. It's control. Control of my work. You say all this about control. I wonder, do you see this book as a form of control over your legacy? Yes. Like like something like the <laughs> ultimate director's cut of your life. <laughs> Very well said. Very well put. Yeah, it is. I got one more question I want to yeah. ask you. There is this a 1991 interview. Yeah. On 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. I was watching it, re-watching it recently, and there's this moment in the conversation where you look back on your performance with Judy Garland on TV in 1963, mm-hmm. and you're remembering how surprised you were that Judy's hands were shaking with nerves right. when she right. held your hand, and you said that you didn't understand her fear at the time, but right. in 91 at 48, you understood mm-hmm. Judy was afraid of falling out of public favor, of being forgotten, becoming obsolete. Everybody's ready to say she's going downhill or her career's over or they want it to be over. Not the public, mind you. And you seem to be processing and understanding Judy's perspective and that fear at the time in that interview in 1991. But now you're 81 and your book doesn't have any of that anxiety. Really? You seem pleased with your life. Why do you think it took me so long to write it? 10 Hmm. years, because I have that same anxiety. Hmm. You know, I I do, I understand, I understand what she was shaking about. I didn't understand it when I was 21. Right. Her vulnerability, you know, I became like her in a sense. Vulnerable, very, well, I... You mean you became vulnerable in that way over time? Over time, more vulnerable even than I was, yeah. You know, the fear of forgetting the words, not being able to sing till there was such a thing as teleprompters. (laughs) The fear of letting down the audience, was I good enough? Was my voice good enough? Was Hmm. I just had to do concerts because I had, you know, I had to pay the rent. Right. I wonder, though, like, you know, your book, you seem so pleased with your life. I wonder what shifted between 48 and 81. I'm trying to get some secrets, some advice, some what's <laughs> what's to come. Like what what change within you happened between between those two points in time that got you to the point where you feel this contentment and you were ready to look back in this way? Yeah. I wasn't ready for the longest time. I thought I had more to do. But then I came to a point where I think what I did was enough. And then you say, you know, okay, let me just live my life. Let me see what that is, you know? Well, Ms. Streisand, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have you. And thank you. I really appreciate you. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. 
In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. 